How's it going, friends? It's going well. It's going well. William right. Walker. That is, in fact, my legal name. That's on my birth certificate. Um, so, give me one second. I need to find where the Gospel of John is because it's not that far back in the New Testament. I found it. Okay. So, I want to start out by asking this morning if you guys have ever felt alongside me that God is not giving you the answers that you want in your life. Um, think about that for a second this morning. And um, I think in these moments where we feel so unsatisfied, where we feel frustrated, and we feel like God isn't giving us the answers that we want, we try to take control of the situation. We try desperately to make sense out of things when we feel like we don't have the answers, and we try to get whatever little bit of control we can in a situation. That's what I find myself doing often when I'm not sure what God's doing, when I feel like he isn't telling me exactly what I, I feel like I need to hear. And I think we have this terrible habit as people to just assume that God isn't giving us an answer and get really upset with him for that when really we're choosing to focus on the wrong details or the wrong parts of the situation. And I know a lot of the seniors right now are stressing about college things. That's a big thing in your guys' life right now. And um, maybe you're figuring out where you're going to go or you are trying to figure out like if you're going to get a scholarship for school or for your sport or for whatever. If you're going to have to move away, sorry if you <laughs> weren't thinking about those things and now you are. But some of you already know where you're going. But a lot of that for you guys is on your minds right now. And I was in a similar spot my senior year. I had gone to small Christian schools my whole life. And I had an older sister who had gone through the same school my whole life before me. And so every classroom I would get to, the teachers would say, oh yeah, you're, you're Luis's brother. And I'd be like, yes, but I'm also named Will. <laughs> and I just felt, I don't know if you guys have felt this, if you've been in small Christian schools or you've kind of been in that setting where Everywhere you go, someone knows your name. They know who you are. And it's not like it was a bad thing. I love my sister, and she like, left a mostly positive reputation for me to follow. So I wasn't, that wasn't like a burden, per se. But I did feel really known. And sometimes when you feel really known in situations like that, you feel a little bit trapped. You feel like you can't, um, you have to act certain ways in certain situations. And so I felt really like I just wanted to get out of that kind of situation when I was looking at colleges. And so most people, I don't know, you want like community and you want like this intimate Christian kind of setting and you should want that in a college. I think that's a really good thing. Whether you go to public school or not, you should seek that out. But at the time I was like, I want to get out of here. I want to go somewhere where no one knows who I am. And a lot of Christian schools will actually try to get you to go to their school by saying like, oh, you're not just a number here. We'll know your name. We'll know who you are. But I wanted that because my whole life, I, my, my name had been known everywhere I went, and I had this kind of reputation that was following me. And so I was like, I want to be a number. I want to be a nobody. I want to go somewhere where I can start over and just actually make my own reputation. So that's what I was thinking about when I was applying to all these colleges. And there was also one other factor. Uh, I was dating a girl that went to UCLA. I'm not, I wasn't actually like a huge UCLA fan. I know there's a lot of SC fans in here, so I don't want to. Um, but there was, a, there was a, a girl I was dating that, that was going to UCLA. And so I was more a big fan of her than I was of UCLA. But that's where I wanted to go because 
I don't know. That's just like the thing where I wanted to go there. I wanted to be with her, and that was the big school. So it, it had all the components. It had all the things. Free pro tip today: don't choose a college based off someone that you're dating at the time. That one's for free. But um, so out of the nine schools that I uh, applied to, I don't know if that's a lot anymore. If that's like a medium, I don't know. But I applied to nine schools, and I only got into three of them. And so. It was two small Christian schools, Concordia, Irvine, where I ended up going, uh, Azusa Pacific University, and Cal State Long Beach, which was a big public school, but it was like right down the street from my house, literally down the street, and so I didn't want to go there because I actually wanted to live on campus. I didn't want to throw my parents' money away to be living on campus, so that wasn't an option, and I remember being so frustrated at the time. I remember thinking, this isn't what I wanted, this wasn't my plan. And all I could focus on was the fact that I was going to have to go to the small Christian school where the same kind of thing was going to happen that had been happening my whole life. And I hadn't stopped to think about how God had given me two great options. He'd given me a path forward. He'd given me a purpose that I, I didn't know about yet, but I was choosing to be frustrated at the fact that I had two different opportunities to go to two different great schools instead of realizing what a blessing and an opportunity that was. And so God had actually given me an answer. It just, I was focusing on all these little things that were frustrating me, and I was missing what he had for me in that moment. And so today we're going to talk about a conversation between uh, one of the disciples named Thomas, who you guys might have heard of before. He's often called Doubting Thomas because of what happens where Jesus is resurrected, all the disciples are in the upper room, and Thomas is the one, everyone's like stoked and rejoicing that Jesus is there. And Thomas is like, I got I to gotta see like where the nails went into your wrists. I need to know if this is really you. And Thomas gets a lot of flack for that. Like people are like, oh yeah, doubting Thomas. But I think, <laughs> I, at least I know I feel this way. I really relate to Thomas. I think he's real. And I think he's not afraid to ask his questions. But just like me, when I was applying to these colleges, just like a lot of us, Thomas, in this conversation that he has with Jesus, was choosing to focus on the wrong details of what Jesus was saying. But again, there's so much that I relate to in him, and maybe you guys will too as we read this story. But we're reading from John chapter 14, like I said, so if you guys want to turn there, we'll be starting in verse 1. I'll be reading out of this version called the NLT, so if it's a little different than what you have in front of you, that's okay, just stick with me. But, so... So far in the story, what's been happening, what's happened right before this, is that Jesus has predicted that one of the disciples is going to betray him and that Peter is going to deny him. So there's been a, a lot of like tough conversations that the disciples have been having. And in this moment, I just really envision them needing something encouraging, needing to hear Jesus say something reassuring. And so that's where we pick up in John chapter 14. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know the way, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And I love this. I feel like Jesus was trying to set himself up right here. And he says, I am the way 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So, show of hands really quick, how many of you guys have heard those verses before? Cool, like solid 95% of you, and maybe you just didn't raise your hand, so maybe 100% of you. Uh, It's one of those verses that, if you've been in a church before, like in the last, like any time in your life, or you've talked to your friends that uh, go to church a lot, if you're newer to church, maybe you've heard this, or maybe if you accidentally stumbled into one of those Christian bookstores, you saw it on like a coffee mug or like one of those bedazzled like mirror things, you know, that your grandma has maybe. It's one of those verses, right, that we hear so much, and it's a really common one that we, that is just often quoted, and it's, I think it's one of those things where it's like a sword that if it gets dull over time, like the sword can't achieve its purpose of like cutting things because it's blunt, right? If it gets worn down over time, it loses kind of its purpose and its effectiveness, and that's kind of what happens with this verse. At least that's, that's kind of how I feel about it when I've, when I've heard it read before and when I've heard sermons on it before. But what Jesus is talking about in theology here, it's a big theology. This is a seminary word of the day, if you want to write this one down and impress your friends. Um, the word is soteriology. Soteriology, I know, right? Which basically is a fancy way of saying Jesus in these verses is talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation. So the word's soteriology, but remember salvation. That's much more important. So in these verses, that's what, spell it, S-O-T-E-R-I-O-L-O-G-Y? Soteriology. Spelling B. Yeah, all right. So he's talking about salvation in these verses. And he's saying that he's the way, the truth, and the life, which is that phrase that if you've heard it or if you've seen it, that's the one that gets quoted all the time. And he's saying that no one comes through the Father except through him. And so it's this idea that we get eternal life. We are with Jesus in eternity by putting our trust in Jesus, that no one comes to heaven, no one comes to the Father, no one receives this eternal life unless they've placed their faith in Jesus. And this is, if you are a Christian, or just if you've heard about Christianity, this is probably the one thing that you'd know to say to someone. If you're like, what do Christians believe? What's like the main part of Christianity? You'd talk about this. You'd talk about how we're saved by Jesus and how we have eternal life in him. Maybe you'd bring in John 3.16, which is another verse that we think of when we think about salvation. So that's this idea. It's not news to a lot of you, probably. It's something that either you know, you already believe, or you've at least heard before if you're newer to church. It's something you probably at least you would know about Christians or what they believe. And so these are important things for us to talk about. And I think that what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about the salvation that you receive through him is one of the most important decisions that you guys will ever make in your lives. But we're in this series right now called What Would Jesus Undo? And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus and his offer of salvation that he gives in these verses is undoing the sin and the death that we see in the world. But we first need to have Jesus undo this surface level understanding that we have of salvation. Because I think if you've heard these verses, if you know them, if you believe them, if this is exactly what you would tell someone if they asked you what you believed, 
it can be something that, yeah, it's, okay, this is truth and we genuinely believe this, but it's one of those things that when we've talked about it so much or when we've heard it so much or when we've heard sermons preached on it so much that it just kind of, it's just something that it starts playing like a song that's on repeat where you're like, okay, this is just what I say and this is what we believe and it doesn't connect to your heart. It doesn't get out into the rest of your life. And so I think that if all we've done is started to quote these verses or if it's something that really hasn't gotten really into who we are and into our lives, that's something that Jesus also wants to undo. Because I think too often Christians have become salesmen of salvation. Salesmen of salvation. And by that I mean we treat it like we're trying to sell Jesus so hard to people, to our friends, to our neighbors, to whoever we really want to come to church. And we tell them all about the summer camp song that made us cry and how we felt Jesus in our hearts. And of course, that can be a really genuine story, right? Like that can be actually how Jesus transformed your life. But it's something that, again, if you're talking about it over and over again to your friends, um, but it's not something that's bled out into the rest of who you are. People, I don't know, people can see through that. Like I know I've had these seasons of my life where I've just talked about how enthusiastic I am about Jesus. And I've talked about a trip that I've been on to somewhere cool where I told people about Jesus. But then I don't actually tell the person that I'm talking to about how that's really affected my life. And I think that plenty of well-intentioned people throughout like the history of Christianity, if you know anything about it, there have been these big revivals with people like Billy Graham, who I love him, and he's done a lot of good, he did a lot of good things for the church in his life. He just passed away not too long ago. But they had these big tent revivals where people would go and they'd hear the gospel and they'd receive Jesus. And again, I think those are awesome things because people really found Jesus through them. But when people look at Christianity just from an external perspective, from the outside looking in, I think many people would assume that all Christians care about is converting people to Jesus. Having them say yes to a decision, fill out this little card, check the box that says that you believe in Jesus, and then that's kind of where it stops. And maybe that's not true. I definitely don't think it's true um, all the time necessarily, but I often think that's the thing that we press, that we're, we're so certain on, that was so important to us, that we often forget that there's so much more that comes after that acceptance of Jesus, after that decision to follow him, after that acceptance of salvation. And I think that people on the outside looking in can see that and struggle to understand how Jesus is really transforming our lives in the ways that we say that he is. And I think because of that, people... Your guys' age and even in my generation, we've reacted to that so much where we went all the way to the other side of things where we'd never talk about Jesus. Where it's something that's so personal, something that you keep to yourself, and we come to this little social club that we call church and we talk about it here, but it's something that it, it kind of stays here. And we're afraid to talk to other people about it so much to where we'd actually have a real heart-to-heart, -heart, genuine conversation about what we believe and what they believe. Because that's like the hard stuff to talk about. We don't want to go a whole lot deeper than the surface level. And I'm sure that some of you guys are having those like hard, real, like deep faith conversations. I don't want to say that none of you are, because I'm sure that you are. But I think all too often, like I myself am fearful to talk to friends that are my age, because 
I'm worried about losing them. That I claim that Jesus is the most important thing in my life and in who I am, but I'm afraid to take that step. And I think it's hard. And I think it's okay to wonder how to go about that because what really is behind that, why we don't talk about Jesus as much or to other people, I think is because we saw how people see Christians sometimes as these sometimes like surface level, not always fully genuine people that just want to sell Jesus to you. And so we went all the way to the other side where now we don't want to, we just kind of want to keep Jesus to ourselves because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to have that difficult conversation. And so if that's where you're at or if that's where you've been, it's not like a guilt trip or anything because I think we have all felt that. But in this passage today, Jesus is talking about, uh, he's been assuring his disciples how much he loves them and how he's going to come back and take care of them. And I don't know what Thomas was doing exactly in this moment because it seems like he kind of tuned out to that part where he's talking about Jesus is saying, in the very first verse, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I don't know if Thomas heard that part or maybe something Jesus said about when Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going, that's kind of when Thomas like snapped back in from spacing out. Or maybe Thomas was just stressing about everything that was going on. And so all these things are already going through his mind. And he kind of misses that description of what the Father's house is going to be like and how Jesus is going to take care of them and come through for him. And um, in verse 5, this is what Thomas says, because he's been freaking out. He's focusing on those wrong details. Thomas says, No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that's what people would classify as like classic Thomas. Right? But I think that it's also classic us, because... We say that we know God's got us and we, that he's got a plan and that he wants to use us to have these conversations with other people, to have those genuine conversations about faith. But we get so worried, we get so stressed out, we start focusing on all the wrong details and then we just don't have those conversations. And so in these verses, Jesus isn't asking Thomas or the disciples to focus on all the specifics of how he's going to save them and everything that's going to happen specifically. Jesus just wants to reassure them. And so often that's what he wants to do for us is just give us strength, give us encouragement. But we snap into this mode like Thomas where we're kind of misunderstanding something that Jesus was saying or maybe it's just a thought that was in our own head and we keep asking all these questions and going in circles and Jesus just wants to say like, I've got you, it's going to be okay I'm going to take care of things. But, I don't know, I think Thomas has such good intentions. I think he's very concerned. He wants to make sure he's getting it right. He loves Jesus, and so he doesn't want to miss out on what's happening. But he just can't stop himself from worrying, from asking these questions. And so, too often we focus on the how of of certain situations when Jesus really wants us to focus on what's behind that, the meaning, the why of a situation. And I think it's normal for us to feel like we're listening to Jesus' voice until he says something like he said to Thomas. Like, oh, you know the way to where I'm going, right? And then we're like, wait, wait, I'm sorry, what? What did you, I know the way? And so he starts freaking out like, 
wait, okay, so did you give us the turn-by-turn -turn directions? Like, do, how, many, like, how many miles is it away from here? Like, can you draw me a picture of like, how to get to this mansion that you're talking about? Because I don't, I don't know the way. And so again, I think that's just Thomas's genuine, like, I want to make sure I, I get to what, where you're talking about. And I think that when it comes to our own faith and our own understanding of where we stand with Jesus, our salvation, we, we think we can do two things. The first is that we, we can think that we have our head wrapped around it, and uh, we, so we know that there's sin in our life and that we need Jesus to save us, and we're going to spend eternal life with him someday, and that's kind of it. We think that that's just where it stops. Or the second thing, we do what Thomas did, where he snaps in this mode where we need to know all the specifics, and like Thomas would ask, he'd say, like, oh, well, how do we get to heaven? How do, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know I can trust what Jesus says? And those are kind of the two ways that we can wrap our heads around salvation. We either think that we've got it or we need to know all these specific things about it. And I think that those are all valid questions. But Jesus wants us to trust in him as our way, our truth, and our life. And that he wants us to have a deeper understanding of why we're saved. Not just like the specifics of how that exactly happens and the details and when but he wants us to understand why he wants to undo the sin and death in the world. And I think he wants us to get that we're not just saved for eternity with him, that it's not just about our relationship with him, but that he has a greater calling on each of our lives that we get to take part in. And it's like if I'm a musician like Joel, and let's just say I understand everything about a guitar. I understand how guitars are made. I know what kind of wood you should use when you make a guitar. I know the best kind of strings that you should buy. Like I even know how to put a guitar together. But let's say I built this guitar and it's perfect and it's shiny and it's a Taylor or a Martin. You can have that debate, I guess. They're both good. But if I never play it, if I never knew what music sounded like or what guitars were capable of doing, I would have missed the purpose. And that's just how our minds work with this thing called salvation sometimes. Like, okay, I get it. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. And we think that that's, ev that's everything. But really, Jesus, went through our understanding of salvation, has something that he wants us to live out, and he wants our salvation to affect how we're currently living. But there's a greater purpose for our salvation rather than just kind of having this mental conception of it. And so... I think too often we forget that Jesus has come to restore wholeness and hope. Thomas forgets everything that Jesus said about what the Father's house is going to be like. And I don't know if you guys have heard this song. They played it at Creekside a couple summers ago. I'm sure some of the counselors will know it, but it's called um, Big House. Yeah, it's called Big House. I remember. And it talks all about what it, what it will be like, right? That in, and this is kind of paraphrasing what Jesus said in this passage a little bit, that in the Father's house there's lots and lots of rooms. And there's a table with lots and lots of food. Does anyone remember this? That was a big backyard where we can play football, touchdown. Anyone? Okay. They played that at the middle school that Cody and I went to. It was, it was a time. You should listen to that song if you haven't heard it. But that there's so much goodness in the Father's house, where we'll all be together someday, that Jesus has promised that he's preparing a room for the disciples and for us to go and be there. But Thomas is missing that. 
And so, I don't know, maybe a lot of you guys can relate to this. I know it's me sometimes where someone says something to you and you immediately just like forget it or you blank and then they like ask you a question and you're like, yes. <laughs> and then it wasn't a yes or no question and then it's awkward. So that's kind of like what Thomas is going through right here. And yeah, so he just, he misses that beautiful description of what Thomas's purpose of salvation is, what our purpose of salvation is, to be with the Father, that we will have everything that we need. But the salvation that we have in Jesus is one day going to undo all the sin that we currently struggle with, and it will literally undo the death that we'll all have to die as mortal people. But I guess the question I want to ask today, the thing I want us to sit in is, like, does that mean that salvation doesn't, shouldn't have anything to do with our lives right now? Because we know that everything's going to be okay one day. We know it's all going to work out. We know we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. And so a lot of people, obviously none of you guys, I'm sure, but a lot of people will use that and say, okay, I can do whatever I want now. Like, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm chilling, and so I'm just going to do me, and, you know, Jesus is going to come along down the road, and, and that's going to be great. But I think this is something I wasn't, I didn't always have on my mind. But right now we're living on the timeline of eternity. That our lives right now are a part of that. And I think just often we only thought that eternity was like something that starts when we, when, when like we die and go off and be with Jesus. But really like Jesus' timeline is happening right now. Like, looking forward to eternity and when he comes back and everything, what's happening right now is a part of leading up to that. And I at least definitely haven't thought of it that way in the past. And I think that that, that means that there's implications for how we live our lives right now. That what we do, you know, in our classrooms, on our sports teams, in whatever circumstance you guys find yourselves in, that those things have implications for eternity. There's a, a New Testament scholar and a theologian I really like. His name's N.T. Wright, and he wrote a fantastic book called Surprised by Hope that I would recommend to all of you guys, and we could have great, deep theological discussions about it. Um, and he, he's just someone that does, he, he writes a lot of books on the New Testament and, and has been a prominent thinker in Christianity. And so I want to read you guys a couple of quotes from, from his book. And so in this first one, he's talking about, and I wish I had these up on the screen for you guys. I'm sorry that I don't. But just track with me for a little bit more. Um, he's talking about how Christianity and people who believe in Jesus have kind of historically thought about salvation. And so this is kind of the thought process that many Christians have had. And he writes about it saying that we think salvation is about my relationship with God in the present and about going home to find peace in the future. So that's how many people have thought about salvation. But a more accurate view of the purpose of salvation is working toward a restoration of people and of the entire world. And so this is a really cool quote, the second one. He's talking about how eternity should influence our lives right now and what it means that we're on this timeline of eternity. So he writes that this is the story of God's kingdom being launched on earth as it is in heaven, generating a new state of affairs in which the power of evil has been decisively defeated, the new creation has been decisively launched, and Jesus' followers have been commissioned and equipped to put that victory and inaugurate that new world into practice. 
Atonement, redemption, don't worry about those words, but also salvation are what happen along the way because engaging in this work demands that people themselves be rescued from the powers that enslave the world in order that they, in turn, can be rescuers. So I think that's a long quote, and that's, there's a lot of stuff in there, but really I think what I want to hit home today is that the things that we're doing here at Trinity High School Group impact eternity. I think that's super cool. I think often we minimize the importance of the things that we do here. Not that we should think that we're cool or something necessarily, but things like the 30-hour famine. Like when we did that, maybe it feels like that didn't matter or that filling up a little can with coins doesn't matter or that going down to Mexico this week and putting on a little VBS camp isn't that significant in the grand scheme of things. But I firmly believe that when we do things like that, when we go on mission trips, when, when we do these cool things, these service opportunities through Trinity that we are able to give back to other people, that that is bringing eternity a little bit closer to us. And I think that that's so, that's so cool. And Jesus wants to undo all this death and sin that we, that we see in the world, and we're just waiting around for him to do that someday down the road from now. But really, when you have that conversation with someone at lunch that's really lonely, you're bringing Jesus closer. And when you go down and you play with those kids in Mexico who you can't really talk to because you don't speak Spanish that well, but you, you share this smile when you guys are playing soccer together, that's bringing Jesus closer. And when you fill up a can with coins and you bring that to church and you're able to contribute towards feeding a child, you're bringing Jesus closer. And I just don't want you guys to think that the things that we do here aren't significant. Or I don't know, maybe you just think that they're average or you think that they're great, but that they're actually super impactful in, in the grand scheme of eternity. And so I want to ask you guys today if your life reflects a Jesus who's alive and working in the world right now, or if you worship a future far-off Jesus that's going to come around again someday. Does your faith change the way that you live and the way that you see the world? Do you want to serve people's physical, spiritual, and emotional needs because you know the wholeness that Jesus can bring? I believe that Jesus came to undo sin and death and that he is absolutely the way, the truth, and the life and that you're going to be with him for eternity. But are you guys going to wait until then to know him fully? Or are you going to know him so deeply that you desire to partner in his work to restore the world and the broken hearts that you see around you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that eternity is breaking into the lives that we're living right now, that the things that we do, the service, uh, the ways that we can serve and give back to you are contributing to the building of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that we don't have to wait to know you more fully or partner in your work or wait until we have more money or we're smarter or we have that job that we think that we need to influence God, that we can start serving and giving back and building your kingdom right now as we are, God, because your love is too good to leave us here. Yeah, God, would you use us? That's our prayer. And thank you for coming to undo the sin and the death that we see in the world. God, we desperately want that, we desire that, God, and we know now that we can be an active part of working towards healing and wholeness 
because you're in us, God, and you're calling us to bring that to those around us. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.